Welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. My guest on the show today is Jennings Anderson. So, so Jennings has been on the podcast before, but today we're talking about something called the Overture Maps Foundation. And during this episode, you will discover that this is a downstream distribution of OpenStreetMap. So if you're a little bit confused, that's okay. We're going to walk you through this. Along the way, we'll also help you understand what the daylight distribution is. A lot to look forward to in this episode. Stay tuned and I'll see you at the end. Hi Jennings, welcome back to the podcast. You've been here before. I will link that episode up in the show notes of this episode so people can check that out. It was about OpenStreetMap, just in case people are interested. But today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about the Overture Maps Foundation, which is a downstream product of OpenStreetMap. Maybe we could start with an introduction. Would you mind just introducing yourself to the audience, please? Perhaps give us uh, an understanding of your title, of your responsibilities, where you work, that kind of thing, and then we'll head off and talk about uh, Overture. Sure, sure. Thank you. Uh, My name is Jennings Anderson. I'm currently a research scientist at Meta. I've been a a researcher in the open map data world for now about a decade, which feels wild to say. I had started researching OSM, OpenStreetMap, just after Typhoon Yolanda in the Philippines in 2013. At that point, we were looking to show how the creation of the tasking manager uh, from the humanitarian OpenStreetMap team changed the interaction patterns between all these mappers kind of coming together to produce open geospatial data in the aftermath of the disaster. So fast forward. number of years, I eventually finished a PhD on this topic of studying OpenStreetMap and how people collaborate in OpenStreetMap and um, have gone on to uh, continue to collaborate with researchers in the open data space, which uh, has brought me to to Meta, where I'm continuing to work on OpenStreetMap data analysis and uh, how we consume OpenStreetMap and clean the data, make the daylight map distribution, and eventually use uh, OpenStreetMap as a major source of geospatial data in all the maps across uh, across Meta. Whew, wow, you, you covered a lot of ground there. I'm pleased you mentioned the daylight distribution. I really want to touch on that later on. I think that's going to be a, an important piece in understanding the story of the Overture Maps Foundation. But first, a PhD in OpenStreetMaps? What, 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 what do people say when you say, that's what I'm doing? My PhD is focused on OpenStreetMap. It's always fun because... You first have to explain OpenStreetMap to folks, and then and then explain. And the first response often is, "Would isn't the world mapped?" And so you get to to get into that question and describe the importance uh, of a project like like OSM, and then talk about all the fun dynamics of the project and how it's grown. I mean, the last ten years have been have been pretty incredible. Just when I started looking at it, it was what half a half a million, I think, registered users or something, and now registered user count is uh, many millions. Just over, I believe, two million contributors have actually edited the map. So watching these numbers grow in the past in the past decade has been has been pretty incredible. And yeah, I was I was very fortunate to be able to to, to study this and and eventually uh, finish grad school um, looking at at the evolution of of OSM. Yeah, so happy to happy to be here today. Right at the start, there we talked about uh, obviously about OpenStreetMap OSM. I really hope that we don't need to dive into the details of what that is for the people listening to this particular podcast. But you mentioned something else as well. You mentioned the daylight distribution. And I said, I think this is going to be an important piece in understanding Overture. So maybe we should start with with daylight. Again, my understanding is that this is a downstream product of OpenStreetMap, but perhaps you could put some more words around that for us, please. 
Yes. So the daylight map distribution is a an open data product that Meta then then Facebook started producing in 2020. And so the gist of of the daylight map distribution is exactly that. It's this downstream distribution that 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 terminology was chosen very specifically to think about like Linux distributions in that it's not a copy, it's not a fork, it's a distribution of the OpenStreetMap database that has undergone a series of quality controls. And so kind of at a high level, what happens is each month, Meta takes a a snapshot of the OpenStreetMap planet and then runs it through a number of checks for coastline integrity, broken relations, vandalism, any of these potential issues on the map, and then spends the next four weeks addressing each of these these issues and fixing them. And importantly, all of those fixes are made upstream. Those fixes are made not on the daylight distribution, but rather in OpenStreetMap. And many times when you go to, to identify the error and go look it up, the community has actually already, has already fixed those errors. So it's either the, the, a data team at Meta that's looking at those errors or the community has already fixed them just because somebody else found them. And then those fixes are re-ingested. And so at the end of kind of a month, you end up with most of the data being about one month old, but anything that was identified as, a, as needing to be addressed has been updated to kind of the, the latest uh, fixed or clean version. And so that is then released at the end of that month period as the current daylight map distribution. And so right now, the daylight, the latest version that just came out was version 1.29. A couple other changes are, are kind of made in the data to make it a little bit more user-friendly. We normalize all the heights, for example. That's something that is, is important in, in OpenStreetMap. You can have many different accepted values for the height tag for, say, a building. You can have it in inches and feet and meters. And so we'll go ahead and just normalize all that and, and make that clean into just meters, for example. So a lot of these just little fixes. And then at the end of the day, you have this kind of view of, of OSM that can be, you know, it's kind of an, an enterprise ready uh, version of, of OSM where you have this, this quality guarantee that it has been looked over by a data quality assurance team. And that is what you know, we end up serving in our maps at Meta, as well as a number of other uh, companies will, will ingest. And, and any, importantly, you know, the daylight map distribution is open and free for anybody could to go download that and use that as a version of a distribution of OpenStreetMap data into their products. Wow, that, that was a fantastic overview. Thank you very much for that. Re- really appreciate it. So, so let's jump further now and talk about the Overture Maps Foundation, what it is. And, and then my hope is that we can pros and cons between the daylight distribution, OSM itself, and use that as a way of helping people understand what this is. What, what is the Overture Maps Foundation? Who is it for? How is it different from, from these other you know, huge data sets? Yes. Okay. So the obvious leading question here is, if you had to explain Overture Maps Foundation to me, how, how would you do that? So the Overture Maps Foundation is an open data project within the Linux Foundation. And Overture aims to create easy to use and interoperable open map data for developers who build map services or use geospatial data generally. So this means bringing together all of the great open geospatial data sources out there 
of which OpenStreetMap is one. And I think a key word here is the interoperability of this data. So finding ways to bring together multiple open data sources, such as OpenStreetMap, and then let's take another data source uh, from one of the steering members of, of Overture is Microsoft. They have the Microsoft building footprints. That's the building footprints extracted from imagery all over the world. I think the data set in total has about 1.4 billion you know, building footprints. That data can then be you know, combined with OpenStreetMap building footprints. And now you end up with potentially the most complete open data distribution of building footprints. And so that's one example of two data sets uh, coming together within Overture Maps. So th this is a fantastic example because aren't those same building footprints being slowly but surely ingested into OpenStreetMap? So my, my question is, what problem is Overture solving here compared to OpenStreetMap itself and the daylight distribution? How, how is it different from what's happening over in, in those other two places? Yes, that's a great question and a fantastic segue. So those building footprints are also being slowly but surely ingested into OpenStreetMap. One way that they can be ingested is via the Rapid Editor, which shows you the, the outline of the footprint and allows users to click Accept, and that imports that particular footprint into the OpenStreetMap database. Now, that's the important piece there, is this footprint was the product of a machine learning model, and by a user clicking on it and saying, accept, it's now been human validated. And now it's been added to OpenStreetMap, right? Because the data in the OpenStreetMap database has a specific level of quality, which is it has been created or curated by a mapper, right? OpenStreetMap is a community project. And so by virtue of accepting that building, that data has been validated. And now that, that particular building is part of the OpenStreetMap data set as well as still exists you know, in, this, in this Microsoft building data set. But we can use that signal to say, actually, this is now an OSM, this is now an OSM building. And we can then take that as it has been seen by a person and has been kind of validated. So an important kind of intermediate step there is that alongside the daylight map distribution, one thing that Microsoft does as a, as a daylight partner is they take their building data set and they compare it to every version of daylight, and they'll go ahead and subtract out any building that already exists or overlaps a building that's already in OSM. And they release that as what they call the sidecar file. So if you look at what daylight has historically done, you have for each version of daylight, you'll have the OpenStreetMap daylight distribution, and then you'll have the sidecar Microsoft buildings file, which as released as an, as an OSC file. And when you apply those two together, you get all the buildings together. You get this union of, of buildings uh, where you're not going to have any Microsoft ML building kind of overlapping or overwriting an OSM building because we're making that decision that since it's in OSM, it's been accepted and has this kind of human validated quality level to it, which we're saying is, is, is always going to be better than just an unvalidated version of a building from a machine learning model. Now, that's still these two distinct data sets, right? To use those two in conjunction, you have to go download and import all of the daylight data, and then you have to apply all the Microsoft buildings to it, and they still are going to look, you know, look different. One's still coming from OpenStreetMap, one is still this other data set. And so Overture takes that one step further and says, 
well, let's go ahead and acknowledge that we want easier to use interoperable open map data. And we have these two building data sets. We're going to produce a building's theme with its own schema. And we're going to find a way that we can map both the OSM data and the Microsoft building data into that. And we're going to say that users who are looking for that combined open map, open building data set at the end of the day are going to be able to use the building theme from Overture and have all those buildings together already conflated. And they'll have, they'll have the references to the OSM building and the reference to the Microsoft building all there under one theme called building with one height attribute that has been normalized. And all of those different pieces can, can kind of come together under that one theme. So Overture is kind of the ultimate downstream distribution of this data set where we're bringing together all these different open, open data sets. Now, one thing I didn't mention in there also included is height estimates from USGS LIDAR data that's been overlaid onto the building's data set. So when there isn't, wasn't an existing height in say OSM, that LIDAR height has been, has also been, you know, added and put in that. So all these different ways we can, we can start to combine and conflate and create this, you know, one easy to use. I want buildings. I'm going to go look at the buildings theme. That is what Overture is producing at the end of the day. Wow. That's a, again, great overview. Thank you very much. So uh, let me try and summarize this. OpenStreetMap, if we think about these massive building footprint data, data sets that have been generated by, by Microsoft and Google and probably others as well around the place, the open data sets, they are slowly but surely making their way into OpenStreetMap, but there's a human in the loop, which is great, right? Because it's human validated, like, like you were saying before, but it also means that the process is slow. Yes. So we're limited by that in terms of speed of entry of data by the human in the loop. The daylight distribution says, okay, the OpenStreetMap validated housing layer, that gets priority, but it's important to remember that we have these other data sets. So in order to try and provide a complete data set, if we're talking about building footprints, you can get two different files, OpenStreetMap version of it and all the buildings that don't exist in OpenStreetMap is the sidecast file. The Overture Maps way is, hey, we're going to combine all of these things in one and, and normalize them. We're going to add some other things as well. So heights, for example, if they are missing from in the OpenStreetMap data. One thing we haven't talked about here is the schema. How does that change? Is this also copied from OpenStreetMap over into these other distributions? Or do these other distributions have their own schema? Yeah. So I should also add, you, you mentioned other data sources there. Esri buildings uh, are also, also included in Overture. So again, another well, just one more data set that's being conflated into those buildings. This is data from the Esri community maps uh, data sets. So when it comes to schema, it does look fundamentally different from, from OpenStreetMap. And this is, this is by design, right? OpenStreetMap has the flexible key value tagging model, which is critical. That's, that's exactly as it, as it should be. It's been designed for, for good reason and allows the maximum amount of flexibility. There's a process that anybody looking to build a map with OpenStreetMap data has to go through, which is to map those key values into something more rigid that they then can, can style onto a map. And so the Overture Map Schema does exactly that and says, okay, this is going to be the rigid style, the rigid schema for how somebody can render a map from this data. So we're going to take, for example, the building key in OpenStreetMap can have any number of values from building equals yes to house to residential to commercial industrial etc and 
in the Overture data schema, we're going to map that to a field called class. And we're only going to have a handful of values in there, such as residential, commercial, medical, et cetera, kind of just higher level pieces rather than having a garage or a shed or some of these other open-ended uh, tagging schemas. So that's an example of how we're just going into a more strict schema there. Same with height, right? Height in OpenStreetMap can take any, any value, but in the Overture building schema, it has to be a number and it has to be in meters. And that's just letting that downstream consumer have access to all that valuable height information that came from OSM that we've gone ahead and normalized. And so they don't have to add that logic into their pipeline. And this is what I think key of what we mean by this interoperable open map data is finding a way to bring in all these different sources and we'll go ahead and do those conversions for the end consumer. One thing I think we, we probably jumped over here was this idea that it made a lot of sense what you're saying before when there was one data layer that needed to be conflated with OpenStreetMap. That was pretty easy to wrap my mind around. Which one has been human, human validated? That gets priority. And then if there is nothing in OpenStreetMap, then, then we, take the other, you know, we take the other data source as being the next best one or the, the best one. What do we do when there's three? We talked about Microsoft, we talked about Google, and we talked about Esri. You know, staying with the building footprints example, how do you, you find the, the, the best one? Or how do you conflate that? Great question. Currently, we're looking at a couple different approaches. And, I'll, and again, I'll speak specifically to just the buildings, the buildings theme, because that's, that's what this is relevant to. In the current model, in the data release that we just had, we conflated in the following order. We took OSM as the best, and then the Esri community data sets, and then the Microsoft buildings. Now we're looking at some other open building data sources. Google uh, has just released their open building data set as well. And so we're also looking at, at how we can start to add that in. This can get us into another key uh, feature of, of Overture Maps, which is what we're calling the Global Entity Reference System. GERS is the, is the acronym. <laughs> and this allows us to say that, okay, we have all these different data sets. We're going to go ahead and do this. You know, spatial conflation is hard. We want to make this easier for everyone. So we're going to go ahead and define this, this concept of, this, of an entity for a building, for example. And we're going to say, okay, for every building, we're going to give it a unique ID. It's going to be a stable ID. This is something that hasn't necessarily been solved in the, in the open, open spatial data world. So we're going we're gonna to try to create this registry of entities, this open registry that anybody can, can use. And this will allow us to say that this building with ID 123 is this particular building in OpenStreetMap. It's this particular building in the Microsoft data set. It's this particular building in the Google data set. And then we can do conflation based on, based on this GERS ID, as opposed to trying to do a, a complex spatial conflation. And this will allow us to make decisions like the Google buildings, for example, are released with a confidence value from their machine learning model. Or you could look at other attributes. If you can combine features by this unique ID, you can say, oh, I want the footprint from OpenStreetMap, but I want to pull in these attributes that Esri knows about for these buildings. And you can start to build up these different really rich features by comparing all of this spatial data across these open data sets with this GERS ID. Wow. That is a really, really big idea. Yeah. <laughs> it would be pretty amazing if you managed to do it. Like, I'm sure you're going to do it right, but 
it doesn't sound easy. I'm thinking about, but what if there's an offset? Like, how do you identify the same building in lots of different, lots of different data sets? Uh, a tree hanging over a building and that was imaged when you know with leaf on, for example, you know, might make that footprint look quite different to the same process being run when it was when the leaves were off the trees, or the tree was cut down and that happened in a later data set, or something like that. Or I'm thinking about, so I'm sitting in a room now in my house, not attached to the house, but two and a half meters from the house is a, a garage, a separate building. What if this entity of the house turns into two separate features in the future when our imaging gets better, when we have better algorithms, that kind of thing? How, how do we deal with that in terms of like what happens to that ID? Does it get split up? Does it become a a parent-child relationship, man, it doesn't sound like an easy problem to solve. Exactly. It's not going to be an easy problem to solve, but that's, that's going to be an important problem to solve. Everything within GERS has to be stable. And when it can't be stable, meaning that over different releases, the ID needs to stay the same for the uh, same entity. In the case where new data comes in that says, oh no, this is the house and this is the garage. But previously the registry, the, the GERS registry only had one building there, then we need to mark that next, you know, that next version of the registry needs to say, actually, this one ID turned into two IDs. And that's something that we'll need to be able to model so that it's backwards compatible. When someone goes and looks up and says, I'm looking for this ID, the power of GERS initially is this is is going to be this like inflation and how people can get the data together. Now, when the data is released, the real power of GERS is that anybody can take their data set and match it to the Overture data set via GERS. So anybody can release a proprietary geospatial data set with GERS IDs so that anybody else wanting to consume that data can now instantly do this ID-based conflation. And you can, have, you can use this, this open registry as a conflation tool for any third-party uh, data stream to match to it. And so that's where GERS will allow you to look up and say, oh, I had this data set. It needed to match to this GERS ID. This GERS ID turned into these two buildings, and that needs to be able to be resolved. So these are some of the, the finer nuances of what it's going to take for a, a stable ID system to really be successful. But we are, we are really excited about what this, is going to, what this is going to look like and what this is going to enable. Yeah, absolutely. Imagine being able to um, roll back in time, you know, and see how a feature has changed. Oh, my guess is you'll see these things consolidate over time. So four or five different polygons maybe will slowly but surely merge into one more, more accurate one because you would hope that we would all be sort of marching towards the truth that all these algorithms start to agree or data sets start to agree that, oh, actually the house, the building looks like this. I, I think that would be fascinating. Agreed. I, I look forward to when when we can get to that get to that point. I think that data is moving in that in that direction, right? It's only going to improve as better imagery comes out, as best better models come out. You know, GERS will need to keep evolving to capture that and to to be something accurate that really makes it valuable for external data sources to to register to this this kind of common common registry of of entities around the world. Whew, okay, well, you've got your work cut out for you, but you're starting off with a fantastic acronym. <laughs> so, you're, you're, you're off to a good start. So up until now, we've been talking about you know, building footprints, and I think that's been a great example to sort of follow through and think about conflation, thinking about these different data sets that are being produced, how we're going to get them 
combined into one. We talked about the girls ID, talked about how with building footprints, as an example, we could add elevation. I mean, it's interesting stuff. I guess the next obvious question is, well, what other data sets or data layers, data themes are currently available in, in Overture Maps? Yeah, so there's four data themes uh, currently available uh, in the Overture data set that was, that was just released. So we talked about buildings, and that is one data set that is using about 500 something million buildings from OpenStreetMap. Another data set that is also a, a downstream derivative of, of OSM is the transportation theme. And I think this is, this is another great example of, of being a, a downstream, slightly augmented version of OSM that is hopefully going to be very usable and, again, interoperable with other data systems. So this is something that TomTom Tom, uh, is also a member of, of Overture Maps. And this is something that they've been working on is to take the transportation network from OpenStreetMap, the road network, the, all the nodes and ways, and they process it and turn it into segments and connectors, right? So it sounds very similar to nodes and ways. But what's happening here is that in OpenStreetMap, you might have a single road that is made up of multiple ways just because of how it was mapped. But it really is just one road. And having those two ways kind of connected end to end doesn't offer any improvements or any value to a routing network. Likewise, when you join two roads together, like at an intersection in OSM, you don't necessarily, there's no requirement. You can have one road kind of join in the middle of another road. And that node that they both share where they connect isn't necessarily elevated into anything special. You need to, you need to do a, a more of a complex lookup to say that, oh, this is actually an intersection node because it exists in both of these, in both of these ways. But that way that was kind of intersected doesn't get split into multiple ways. So if that makes sense. So, so what happens downstream when we create this transportation theme is all of those pieces are resolved. Those ways that don't necessarily need to be two ways because having them split doesn't offer any benefit become one segment. And then anywhere where you do have data, where you do have two roads coming, coming together where they really should split and create two segments without having to do that kind of, complex traversal to recreate that network, then the data will go ahead and split and create two segments and one connector. And so at the end of it, you look at something that's going to look exactly like the OpenStreetMap transportation highway network, but it's just going to have kind of slightly under the hood. It's going to be slightly different in terms of which are the connectors and which are the segments. And it's going to be optimized for ingestion into, uh, into routing systems. So that's another, another theme, as well as then on top of that, that's just the, the structure of the segments and the connectors. And then there's a number of other attributes that are being modeled differently and enabling linear referencing across the data as well. So it is just that I like to think of it as like one level of downstream processing is being done within Overture to produce something that is very usable and kind of immediately consumable. And we're, we're trying to solve that step so that consumers don't have to do that themselves. Is there any sort of um, conflation going on here? Are we adding other data sets in? Because my understanding is that, that Meta, for example, produces a, a routing layer that is ingested into OpenStreetMap via the, the Rapid Editor. Mm, I'm not sure what you mean by that. 
Are we just talking about the data that's in OpenStreetMap that you're you know, simplifying it in the, in, in the ways that you're describing, making it more easy to consume? Or are we also talking about in terms of the buildings, for example, you, you're doing normalizing or you, you're creating a new schema that was going to be more easily digestible for folks wanting to consume this data, but you're also adding in data that, that wasn't present in OpenStreetMap. So my question is, are you also doing that in terms of the, the transportation network or is this pure OpenStreetMap data that you are, are simplifying and making more consumable for, for users? Gotcha. And in the case currently for the transportation theme, it is the full OpenStreetMap transportation network. Currently, the, that theme is just is ingesting uh, only OSM data, but there is you know, hopefully a, a, a plan for the future to, to add more more data on top of that and, and do that conflation and, and build out and build out that road network. Absolutely. Okay. So we've got building footprints, we've got a transportation theme. Um, what else is going on in there? Yeah. So those, I wanted to cover those two because initially, because those are the data sets that involve OpenStreetMap data. The next one that's exciting is a theme called places. And this is a combination of public place information from Meta and Microsoft. And it turns into, it's the data set is about 60 million points globally of points of interest and places that has never been released as, as open data before. So this is quite exciting for, in terms of an open data offering, that it is 60 million you know, new, new places uh, all over the world. Wow, yeah, that, that, that's pretty cool that they're opening up the data like that. Uh, that that's great. So three, three layers is, I don't want to say, is that it? Because it sounds like an incredible amount of work, but is, is that where we're at today? There is one more. There is the admins layer, uh, which is administrative boundaries. And that is data currently from, uh, from Microsoft and TomTom Tom have been working together on, on that layer. And that currently includes admin levels for countries and states, and hopefully will, will continue to grow. We should add that you know, this was our initial data release uh, just for these four themes. And we put this out because earlier we had, re- we had released the schema and I think that was exciting. And then, and then we needed to, to get some, some data out there for people to see and, and play with. And that's what we have initially released. And so these, these themes will continue, to, will continue to grow and improve as future data releases happen. I've seen a little bit of, of chatter about this on Twitter or X, whatever people are calling it these days. And you know, some people are really excited about the Overture Maps Foundation. Uh, great, you know, more open data, more better kind of thing. And I completely get that. But we've been talking about this idea of accessibility, consumability, access, that kind of thing. And I've heard a lot of people say, ah, you have to be a real data nerd to actually get your hands on this stuff, that it's, it's actually difficult to access. But my, my, my guess is here that there's probably a difference between being a map data provider and a map services provider. And I, I'm wondering which one of these roles Overture is trying to, to fill. Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic point. So Overture is a map data provider looking to create you know, this interoperable open map data set. And then that data is consumable by developers who want to build map services. And this is, I think, a key, a key distinction here where there's a lot of opinionated decisions that go into how you take data from, from, from your raw data set into producing you know, tiles, for example. What data gets included, what data gets excluded, and what it's going to look like. And 
Overture is not trying to get into that space of saying what the map services should look like. Overture wants to be upstream of that and be providing data for any provider of map services to, to consume and hopefully build, uh, build better products with. And so we've made the decision to release the data as Parquet files, which is a cloud-native format, which means that you know, when you go to the Overture website, there isn't a, a download all button. And I think that people have, have become very used to seeing this, I just want to download the whole data set and then do something with it. Well, it's a really big data set. <laughs> and that doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's funny because the same thing happens with the OpenStreetMap Planet file, right? It is released as one big data set and it keeps growing. And there are tools that you can use to ingest the entire planet file. It just requires bigger and bigger machines, which then get into kind of cloud computing as well. And we did release the very initial data set that was released, as I talked about earlier, was this, we had, you know, there's daylight, and then you have these sidecar files where you can add on these buildings. And the initial data release from, from Overture, what we did was add all those things together and made one giant PDF and said, okay, we've done this conflation of all these buildings, of all this stuff, put it into one giant PBF. It was like almost 100 gigs. And now you can go download it and read this into your systems and have all these buildings and all this data kind of pre-conflated. And we heard back from people that said, well, now this file's too big. It's not actually that, that usable anymore because we have to spin up you know, this much bigger machine in the cloud to try to process this. And so we took that, that feedback and with this, with the way we want to actually re, uh, release these, each of these four themes, we've done it in a way where it's these parquet files that are, as you said, this cloud native technology that allows you to point any number of kind of big data systems at these files and poke and prod and inspect the data and extract the data in the view that makes sense for you, right? So one example is that it's, these are just data sets sitting out on, on S3 and on Azure blob storage as well. So you can pick your kind of cloud provider, or you can point open source uh, tools such as DuckDB. You can point them right to the, the data set and you can run it locally, but it allows you to write a query that says, I want to download the data in this bounding box. I want these columns and I want to convert this string into, into something else. I want to it allows you to have just a lot more control over the data that you're actually getting that then you can feed into your, into your services. What was really exciting when this came out is, you know, that's, that's fundamentally different than the way that data has been released in the past where people are, are more used to pushing this download button. And so certainly like there was some, some comments about that, but pretty quickly, and we tried to put some examples out of how to get started with this or that. And pretty quickly, there was a number of blogs that were coming out of people saying, you know, okay, initially this was strange, but then I went and did this and here's how I did it. And I was able to look at the data and get the data and do this with it. And so there were, there were blog posts that were coming out showing with your Amazon account, you can then query the data, download the CSV and load it right into QGIS. That was really exciting to see. I think that we have made the right decision in terms of releasing it in this cloud native format that doesn't make those opinionated decisions that says, this is what the data has to look like. We are trying to offer it at kind of one level above that and say, this is the schema. We've done this, this, and this to, to, to bring the data together and make it interoperable. But now it's up to you to decide what pieces of the data 
you want to use and how you want to use them. And for developers who have access to their own cloud infrastructure and they just want to go download all the Parquet files and load them locally and do their own thing with that, absolutely, that is still, uh, that is still certainly an option. So I think that we've tried to offer the most flexibility, uh, but certainly have, have heard a lot of, of feedback from folks that, that are looking for that download button. But I, I think that we can, I, I hope that we can put more examples together as well to show, to show how, while there isn't a download button, you can actually do a lot more with the data and how it's being released now. That, that makes a lot of sense. I also think like uh, choosing those, those cloud native, that cloud native format that you're talking about, that must greatly simpl- simplify the infrastructure you need to maintain the, the data set as well. My, my guess is there's no service running in the background. It's blob storage just sitting there waiting. So your job is then to keep updating that, that blob storage with, with new files. Also, after hearing you say that, so you're clearly on the map data provider side, not the map services provider side. And it sounds like your customers are, or the people that you're building this for are on the map services side. So you are essentially building this for the geeks, for the developers, you know, for the people that, that want to build on top of what you're providing. Precisely. Well, we've covered a lot of ground. So uh, I guess, again, continue, continuing with this theme of obvious questions, the next one is like, well, so, so what's next? Like, we've got these four layers. I don't mean to trivialize that. It sounds like it's been a lot of work just getting this far. And it sounds like you've got a lot of work to do just with these four layers. But my guess is also that you, you've got plans for this, right? You, you're going to grow this and it's going to develop over time. So again, without like trivializing the work you've already done, what is next? Where, where are we going from here? Yeah, so the, the big thing, we have released these four layers, and I talked about this global entity reference system and how great it's going to be. So the next <laughs> thing that we need to do is, is actually implement it on these four layers so that you know, in the coming data releases, there will actually be a GERS ID that will be this stable ID for all of these roads and buildings um, and, and places and admin features that, that we're putting out in these themes. And in terms of the next data layers, I think that that's going to be a decision that's you know, going to be driven by what, what people are after, what consumers are looking for, and what uh, companies and what data sets join Overture and become interested in the project and want to participate and want to bring their open data to the, to the table and, and add it to, these, to this system. We also do want to make sure that one theme that we're looking at next is what does it take to make to actually make a map from the overture data? I think that's a a, a big question. You know, if you want to mail, build a base map from from overture data right now, you have there's a transportation layer, admins, and buildings uh, and places. So you're off to a great start, but you also need to know where the land is, where the water is, um, other types of land use, and so we're looking to put together kind of a, a context theme that's going to help us create something that, that you can actually make a full base map out of. So that's something we're also looking back at. OpenStreetMap is a great source of, of data for that from the, the daylight distribution. Um, and so how can we bring some more of that data in in these separate discrete layers so that give consumers the option to, uh, to turn those, those data themes on as well, um, those data layers on. So those are probably the two, uh, two big things that are immediately on our to-do list. Wow, also big things. It's going to be really interesting to follow this project and, and, and see where you, where you end up, especially um, also watching to see who joins the, 
the foundation, right, to, and, and see what, what they bring to it. That's going to be a pretty interesting, yeah, just pretty interesting to follow along. So uh, OpenStreetMap has a really passionate community behind it, around it. It's been going for a while now, and, and it's growing, like, like you mentioned at the start of the episode. Has there been any pushback? Are people worried that you are trying to you know, steal OpenStreetMap's thunder, that you're going to somehow make them be irrelevant or that you're stealing the data, anything like that? I'm not doing a great job of formulating this question, but, but I hope you know where, you are, where I'm going. No, I, I, I totally understand. I think that this is an important, an important distinction to, to, to get right. And Overture Maps is consuming OpenStreetMap data. And I think that the two together are very complementary in that OpenStreetMap continues to be the source for community-maintained data and a vibrant, evolving community maintaining open map data. Overture is, as you said earlier, you know, downstream of OpenStreetMap and continuing to consume that. And so when there's OpenStreetMap data inside of Overture, if that data needs to be adjusted, all the data in, in Overture is coming from, from somewhere and it's not, it's not going to be fixed inside of Overture. It needs to go be fixed or updated or augmented at the source. So this is something where if there's something in Overture that's coming from OpenStreetMap, there's still this, there's got to be this feedback loop that goes all the way back to, to OSM. So OSM remains like the original data source, the original community. And I think we can think of Overture as this downstream part of it. And as a result, companies involved in Overture, such as Meta, will still very much stay involved in, in OpenStreetMap. And one example is, is you know, supporting the Rapid Editor uh, for OpenStreetMap data in order to keep the high quality data coming into Overture from, from OpenStreetMap, all of that data validation, data editing, that still is happening in OpenStreetMap. It's not happening somewhere else. And so there's still, to that degree, I don't think it's stealing OpenStreetMap's thunder in any way, but rather maintaining a, a presence within the OpenStreetMap community and, and helping ensure that, that OpenStreetMap continues to, to do what OpenStreetMap does which is be an open, vibrant community um, supporting high-quality geospatial, uh, open geospatial data. At the same time, Overture provides this kind of place where other data sets can get merged into the Overture Maps data set, such as these you know, AI-derived buildings or roads, where maybe that's not where they belong is in, in OpenStreetMap, right? This data that historically has maybe like there's, there are a lot of questions around whether AI data should be imported into OSM. And, and by a rapid, we're saying we're not importing it, but you're actually looking at it and doing this human-in-the-loop validation of this data. And then it becomes part of OpenStreetMap because it has gone through that human-in-the-loop validation. But if somebody wants to add those two data sets together, Overture is the place they can go to get that full kind of complete data set. Yeah, like it, it makes a lot of sense. At the start, like when, when we first started talking about this, I was thinking, ah, oh, it wasn't clear to me that these two projects weren't in competition with each other. But when you put it like that, when you describe the, the process of conflating these different data sets, especially the, the, these AI-generated data sets, I can see where you're going. I can see why people would want this. I really can. I can also see that if you're simplifying the schema, making it easier to search, this idea of the, the global features ID doesn't sound easy to implement, but man, if you do, that, that'll be incredibly powerful. You're adding the, these extra 
extra attributes, elevation. We talked about that before. My guess is there'll be, there'll be other things along the way and giving people a place to, to put their data, which they, they can't just go and dump it into the community, right? And overwrite all the work that's been done or, yeah. So I, I can totally see it from that perspective. And again, 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 I think this is going to be a super interest, interesting project to, to follow along with. We've been talking about this the overture for for a while now. Personally, I think you've done a great job of of explaining what it is and walking us through the process, how it works in terms of these different data themes that you've got in there, and a little bit about what the future looks like. What is the the biggest misunderstanding about this project? I mean, you clearly talk to a lot of different people in the mapping world. What what is the bit that they don't immediately get when you start talking to them about over, overture, or what is the question that a lot of people ask you about this? That's a good question. I think it was really enlightening to be at State of the Map US, uh, for example, in Richmond most recently, and talk to people about Overture because I think you know there's a lot of there's a lot of excitement and there's been a lot of I think speculation. Once we get to talking about it and explaining, I think again explaining that relationship between between OpenStreetMap and and Overture and showing that you know these 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 two aren't existing in in competition. You're not going to go to Overture Maps and click Edit and edit this like separate version. That's not what Overture Maps is. Overture Maps is this is this combined open data set that is, as we said, kind of downstream of, of, of OpenStreetMap. And OpenStreetMap is going to continue to, to remain the vibrant community supporting uh, open geospatial data, community-maintained data. And so it's just one of the many inputs uh, into Overture. And I think that that distinction is very important to make. And I think that as we as Overture keeps producing data sets, that will become more, more obvious as to what, what exactly can be done with Overture Maps data and, and show that it is another distribution of, of open map data that includes uh, high quality data from, from OpenStreetMap. And that's really exciting and is hopefully going to give more credibility to, uh, to the value of, of OpenStreetMap by virtue of being included in this one you know, larger project and combining data sets from other sources as well into that. I think that that's really exciting that at the end of the day, this is all happening in the open. Uh, This is a a Linux Foundation project, and the goal here is to build interoperable open map data for anyone building massive map services that needs enterprise quality uh, map data. Well, Jennings, I think probably this is a great place to round off the conversation. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for showing up on the podcast again. I really appreciate it. I always enjoy talking with you. You have this sort of enthusiasm you know, about these kinds of projects that I, I really appreciate. So it's been a pleasure. We've mentioned the name a bunch of times, uh, Overture Maps Foundation. There'll be a link to that in the show notes. Is there anywhere else you want to direct people to, send them to uh, if they want to learn more? Yeah, I think that the, the Overture Maps uh, website, overturemaps.org, has an FAQ and a button to learn more about how to become a member and how to get involved in shaping you know, what, the, what the future of the foundation looks like and, and how, you know, this is how we're making these decisions around what the schema looks like is by all these, you know, the member companies coming together and, and developing this schema and releasing this data. So I think you can learn more and, and also links to the, um, to the documentation and to the schema are all available there uh, on the website. Well, thanks again, Jennings. I'll include those links in the show notes and I hope people take the time to check it out. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for showing up. Fantastic. Thank you so much. So I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Jennings Anderson, research scientist at Meta, talking about the the Overture Maps Foundation. 
So, um, I mentioned right at the start of this episode that uh, Jennings had been on the podcast before. That episode, I believe, was called OpenStreetMap, A Community of Communities. It's worth checking out. There'll be a link in the show notes. I'm also going to put a link into the show notes to another topic that, that Jennings mentioned, and that was the Rapid Editor. So again, this is the tool, an open source tool developed and maintained by Meta, which helps people rapidly edit OpenStreetMap. It's designed as a way of primarily uh, of getting AI-generated data sets validated by humans and in, 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 in into OpenStreetMap. Anyway, it's, it's worth checking out. It's also worth mentioning, we've published a few episodes now around this idea of cloud-native geospatial. And this is important because the Overture Maps Foundation is providing data in the, this cloud-native format. In this particular case, it's in as Parquet files. Published a few episodes now around this idea of, of cloud-native geospatial formats and if you're not entirely sure what they are they're going to become increasingly important going forward and they're it's, it's well worth taking the time to to understand them so i'll put links to a couple of relevant episodes in the show notes of, of this episode okay that's it for me that's it for this week's episode thank you very much for tuning in all the way to the end i'll be back again soon i hope that you take the time to join me then bye